This is Liquid Gold. All right, where the eggs are for drinking and the time is for thinking. Welcome back to Liquid Gold, right here on WeOwnThisTown.net, the We Own This Town podcast network. I'm your host, Mike Wolf, with you here today, a podcast all about beverages, and we seem to have settled into a little soda theme here. I think this will be the last one we've got about soda-related topics Our last episode with Darcy O'Neill, just incredible. So much fun talking to him. We've got a little segment with with him today about egg creams. And that's what we're talking about today, the egg cream. Probably the most famous drink to come out of the soda fountain culture and one that is still alive today and made in New York City and still in Nashville as well. And we've got one of the masters of the egg cream here in Nashville, Drew Susan from Honey Tree Meadery, who for the longest time was over at the pharmacy making incredible egg creams. We've got some technique from him, Jessica Backus, our cocktail correspondent. She's one of the people who opened that uh, that place and knows a thing or two about egg creams. Also, what we're featuring today is how the egg cream became the Ramos, the Ramos Gin Fizz, one of the most famous egg cocktails drinks in general still made quite a bit these days a cocktail that comes from new orleans circa 1888 or so and the egg cream and the ramos gin fizz have a really interesting history they are they are related they're like brother and sister and there's just so many different tie-ins between these two drinks so we explore that today the egg cream and the ramos so we've got Darcy, we've got Jess, we've got Drew from Honey Tree, and he gives a little update as to what they're up to. And then we've got Kenneth just taking down, just destroying Tab Soda, which uh, I think we've reached the end of the line with Tab. They are apparently dropping the brand, discontinuing the brand. It does have a devoted following, though a small devoted following. I guess that's why it is going away. But Kenneth has some thoughts on that and uh, draws in some Black History Month anecdotes for that. So a jam-packed show for you today. And one of the things that has been captivating my imagination since talking to Darcy is the fact of this old carbonated water, the old soda water, was up to four times more carbonated. There is one company left that I did find in Brooklyn. I'm going to talk about them on the back end of the show. But they specialize in really incredible soda water that they filter three times and add liquid carbon dioxide to. And there used to be tons of these different companies all over the country. There's only a few left. I'm going to get into that on the uh, at the end of all these interviews and everything. Kenneth also has a note about probably the most famous soda shop here in Nashville, Elliston Place Soda Shop. The ownership was transferred, I believe it was last year, but they're just about set to reopen in a new location, very close to the old location. Kenneth has some info about that as well as some history there. Now, egg drinks were becoming really popular in soda shops right at the towards the beginning of the 1880s and really popular in cities all across the country, early 1890s. The Ramos Gin Fizz in New Orleans came from the Imperial Cabinet Bar and was meant to be a daytime drink. This was a drink you downed after lunch on your way back to work or something you came by in the morning to get a little a little shot of gin with your um, egg cream style drink. And though there's been a lot of argument as far as uh, out in New York City, as far as what is the egg cream, what's the history, did it ever have eggs, did it ever have cream, 
Well, there's really no question. If you look at a lot of the old soda manuals that Darcy helped to bring to light, you see that eggs and cream played a big role in a lot of these soda shop favorites. And there was a whole category of these egg cream style drinks called cabinets. Now, was it was the fact that it was a cabinet drink meant that it was going to be an egg drink? Was that related to the Ramos being created at the Imperial Cabinet? Probably not. But it's sort of, you find all these bizarre histor- historical anecdotes when you start researching this stuff and, and deep diving in. Let's get into talking Ramos and uh, a little bit about egg cream with Jessica Backus, our cocktail correspondent. From Charleston, South Carolina, she runs the bar at the Delaney Oyster House. Miss Jessica Backus is back. Hey! Backus, back with us. Backus is back. Happy New Year. (laughs) Happy New Year. This is the Shots episode all about egg cream. And you've made some egg creams in your life. You were part of the opening crew at the pharmacy here in Nashville. What was that like when you uh, when you guys first opened there and egg cream was was such a big drink for you guys, but it probably took a little a little while for it to uh, for it to take hold or get popular. The egg cream was kind of the 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 point, the starting point of how we developed, how we made the different sodas and had the old sort of soda arm and why mm-hmm. that was important. And so it was neat because Terrell, you know, seeing his eyes light up and talk about how passionate he was about the egg cream. I, I didn't know anything about it at the time because I had never really spent a lot of time in, in the New York areas and where it kind of originated and was popular. But once you started to understand and he would explain how you build these drinks and the importance of when to add certain ingredients and how to stir them and stuff like that. I mean, that's kind of like the beginning of classic, really strong cocktail culture Mm -hmm. and your techniques when it comes to making really good cocktails. And so it was really cool that you think about a drink that has essentially three ingredients and yet the, the way that it looks and the way that it tastes and the texture of it is really dependent on how you put it together. And so yeah. that that kind of passion and specificity about this one thing was sort of how you build this entire culture that was like, hey, we're bringing this back, you know, and, and we're going to sort of offer these things that people may or may not be used to. But that's kind of how all these really cool things have come back into, you know, popularity with our entire country. You know, it's like the cocktail thing and the bitters thing and all of those type of things and even food trends and stuff like that is all really somebody finding something that was really cool. And for a long time, it was hard to get people on board. But once you get enough people where you're like, hey, taste this. And then the light bulb goes on. You're like, whoa, okay, there's there's something special there. You start to realize you need things like dumplings in your life. I need dumplings. <laughs> I need dumplings. <laughs> These dumplings are great. <laughs> yeah. That's what's going on in Nashville. Everybody's making dumplings, <laughs> really good dumplings, like better than they should be dumplings. Um, That's a good problem to have. Yeah. It's interesting you bring up about the concept of adding things at a certain time and don't add it too early, don't add it too late. Because this is a debate that's still going on with the Ramos Gin Fizz, which we're going to get into here. Being that, um, according to our soda historian expert of all things, Darcy O'Neill, the Ramos Gin Fizz really comes from that soda 
Um, that soda fountain technique, the soda fountain style of drinks, which were very popular at the time when the Ramos was invented, 1888 in New Orleans. Before we get too much into the Ramos, that debate of when to add certain ingredients is going on still to this day about the soda. And I found a lot of folks, old school, honed, professional bartenders in New Orleans who are shaking the drink with soda, which I thought was was very interesting. Um, so that's something for folks to try at home. But most people, it's accepted that you would add the soda very late in the game to the Ramos. You let the um, kind of that meringue that you see in all the lovely pictures. And we got to throw a shout out to Sally Gatza, a Liquid Gold alumni who just makes an incredible Ramos Gin Fizz. So shout out, Sally. But that the soda would come much, you know, like as the last thing, the last finishing touch on that drink. You'd pour the soda, the foam would rise, and you'd have this beautifully presented drink, and then you'd add the orange flower water into um, into the center of the drink. But some of these old school New Orleans bartenders are saying, well, that's a really easy way to get the drink to separate into where the soda sinks to the bottom, the meringue rises up, and the two don't mix all that well. Or, you know, then you're in that game of like, in, you give someone this beautiful drink and then you have to instruct them how to drink it, which yeah. <laughs> <laughs> isn't fun. Um, so this adding the soda in the shake is like this old school thing. And I feel like more people are starting to do that, um, which is super interesting. But a little Ramos Gin Fizz history. This was basically uh, New Orleans, 1888. Henry Ramos devised this drink and he was a perfectionist and was really well known for like keeping the bar orderly there uh, at the at the Imperial cabinet where if people got drunk or if they got out of line, they were just gone <laughs> and like they might not ever be allowed back in there. He was not he was not okay with public drunkenness and everything like and he thought, um, I heard this fact about about Henry Ramos that he um, so he got out of the bar business when prohibition hit and he really thought prohibition was never going to end. And so he passed away uh, before they ended prohibition. Can you imagine what what he would what he would think of New Orleans now? Yeah. It's like he so was like, don't be drunk in end. the streets. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, don't be drunk in the streets. Don't drink too much. Soda culture at that point was a big deal. Soda fountains were real popular. And so he kind of brought those two worlds together, the bar, the the new world of cocktails that had been coming up since the, since the 1860s. And he basically made like a gin sour and created this boozy egg cream from it. Darcy makes the point that though the egg cream now and the egg cream that you were making at the pharmacy does not contain eggs or cream, Back when egg creams were really popular in the 1870s, 1880s, 1890s, they were using eggs and cream. And there's a fascinating, before we give a classic Ramos recipe, there's this drink, Jess, I was talking to you about the Royal Cabinet. This, this is an example of an egg cream style drink that was really popular. This was in a soda, mount, in a, in a soda fountain manual. Sax's Guide or Hints to Soda Water Dispensers, 1894. This drink called the Royal Cabinet was one of the most popular drinks in Chicago. And this was 
one ounce of orange syrup, a half ounce of a Catawba syrup, which was basically like Concord grape wine and water and sugar. They would make a syrup from that, half ounce of that, one egg, a half ounce of cream, and then carbonated water. And there was also versions where they would add brandy to it. But that drink was an example of an egg cream of people getting like creative with egg creams. What's crazy though is is uh, Darcy has this piece on Art of Drink about the the Royal Cabinet, the Royal Rhode Island Cabinet, the Coffee Cabinet, which was another coffee, which was like a coffee egg cream, which was coffee syrup, egg, cream, ice cream, and shaved ice. And that was I could see that being super popular. That's like cold brew with ice cream. Uh, like overshaved thing, ice isn't that like the thing everybody was making during quarantine with the weird frothy thing on top <laughs> oh totally yeah yeah spreading 100 years the coffee cabinet <laughs> from one pandemic to another because the coffee cabinet recipe uh darcy has it where it, it the recipe appeared in a book in which year 1919 smack dab in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> crazy but what's cr- crazy about this idea of a cabinet and what was a cabinet? Why were they calling these drinks cabinets? Darcy does a lot of diving into why that was and attributes it uh, that the cabinet term came from commode, the royal commode. Commode being French for a cabinet that housed a chamber pot, which over time just was shortened to commode. And then later by, by Americans, I suppose, outhouse. <laughs> That's the, the Wild West. So he thought it was, Darcy thought it was um, really just a a tongue-in-cheek way of saying like a bathroom, you know, or something like that. But what's crazy, and we talked about this before we started recording, is that the Ramos Gin Fizz was concocted at a bar called the Imperial Cabinet. Four years before, some of these egg cream variations started popping up in different soda manuals. So I don't know what I have, I don't have any grand hypothesis about why that is, but I think that that is just fascinating. The most famous drink based on an egg cream cocktail that was based on an egg cream is the Ramos Gin Fizz. Egg cream variations later, in, by the time the 18, early ni- 1890s and mid 1890s are rolling around, these drinks are called cabinets. And the most famous egg cream style cocktails concocted at a place called the Imperial Cabinet, which Nobody really puts those two together. Nobody really draws that distinction. And I don't, I'm not saying that there is some grand conspiracy to it or like some like, you know, it's like Indiana Jones searching for the, uh, <laughs> the perfect Ramos. But I just that's just a fascinating thing. We had to bring that up because yeah. that's what we do on Liquid Gold. We just bring up random, random shit. Yeah. Maybe the take home message is that all the best ideas in life come to you in the bathroom. That they do. What's what do you think is the greatest idea you've ever come up with in the bathroom? Oh, it's uh, it's very similar to if you remember the scene in Overboard where the little the twins that she's with the in, the one inventor one he comes up with the idea where you flush the toilet and it raises the the curtains in the bathroom, you know. <laughs> but it's uh, from having a lot of male roommates in my twenties where you would flush the toilet and the toilet seat would automatically go back down. Oh, it's nice. Not, it's not a real life idea, but it's definitely like an automated toilet idea. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard a lot of people who, t- you know, I love that we, we were just we've just taken this to the toilet. But yeah, um, sorry about that. 
so many no no i mean that was that was that was my bad but uh but but no basically um as people have so much more time to like sit around the house and think about ideas i think that there is some there's like a ground swell that's starting to happen where people are really thinking about like we need to change the toilet why is the toilet the same that it's been for so many years why why are we like still touching toilets like with our hands you know i mean i know in a lot of like airports and stuff and 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 it's very common to have like toilets to flush themselves and everything but even like with toilet seats and things like that like there should be a lever system where you move it with your foot you know all these things it's like there needs to be more innovation in europe you know what's always driven me crazy well true yeah when you're in a public bathroom they have an automated soap dispenser but not an automated uh water nozzle so people will like often leave the water running because they don't want to touch it again to turn it off. But it's dumb to me because I have no problem touching the soap dispenser because it's dispensing soap. So you're going to wash your hands after that, right? But then after you wash your hands, you have to turn the water off with the spigot, with the faucets, you know, handle. So it's like, why wouldn't you just put your innovation into automated sinks so the water turns on and off with the sensor instead of doing the soap dispenser with a sensor? <laughs> yeah yeah but that means nothing i think there's no. more more to be said for the coffee cabinet and how coffee you know makes it so that your uh your trips to the bathroom are more efficient <laughs> so you have more time to come up with brilliant ideas and inventions see i always the thought the people that were leaving the water on in the bathroom which that does happen a lot um drives me nuts. i think it's just people who forget that it's not an automatic sink because we're so used to that you know that they're just like oh it'll turn off that's what i've always thought but you think you think they just don't want to they're just lazy they don't want to turn it off or it's just like it's hygiene yeah Yeah. but it's Hmm. there i mean i think it's proven that american hygiene is a little bit short of standard considering (laughs) that the pandemic started and then everyone had to figure out that they were supposed to be washing their hands yeah right right (laughs) Well, we have to look in so many ways, you know, we have to look to Japan for, you know, innovation and and maybe the best, most really thoughtful way of doing things. And they've got some incredible toilets. Yeah. Um, And I'm pretty sure. Like, why is a bidet a new thing in America? Why was that just because we ran out of toilet paper? Yeah. We're just (laughs) stubborn. We're just like, we don't need your, need your damn inventions. Just say you like very thin pancakes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like this detour. We took a bathroom. We we literally went to the bathroom. We just went to the bathroom. Took a detour. Okay, that this cat the cabinet thing just kind of blows my mind. Like why why did all the egg cream drinks become cabinets? Why did the most famous cocktail invented based on the egg cream? was invented at a place called the Imperial Cabinet. It's yeah. it's just, I don't know. It's like, Maybe it's like a glitch in the Matrix. It could, it could be. be. Yeah. I don't know, but like, I'm watching The Crown now, so I'll let you know if I figure anything out. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> please do. Let's give a, let's give a classic Ramos recipe uh, because I think what, what may be part of the, um, the way that people maybe misunderstand the drink now or... Uh, People go a little little overboard about the the gin, the alcohol content. This was originally not necessarily a long, tall drink. Um, it was sh- served in glasses that were more like bigger shot glasses. 
Um, but basically, I think a good approximation of the original Ramos would be like an ounce and a half of gin, uh, an, a three-quarter ounce of an equal mixture of lemon juice and lime juice. So three-eighths ounce lemon juice, three-eighths ounce of uh, lime juice, one ounce of cream. Some people do the half ounce of cream. I like the full ounce of cream. Because I do think the idea is that you're drinking a cloud and the cream content should be pretty close to the gin content. Then you've got the sugar component, which the original uh, called for powdered sugar, which I think just sounds incredible in a brunch drink, in a daytime drink. You get some cool texture. I think the way that that can mix with the cream could be really cool. So say a tablespoon of powdered sugar. Then you've got... The egg white, can't forget that. One egg white. The egg white. And then an ounce of soda. All right, and so dry shake that without ice for about 20 seconds. Then add one large ice cube or two, depending on the size. If you have like a pretty big block, you could add one. If it's like a cold draft style or a, like a some cubes out of your ice dispenser in your fridge, do like two. But you want big cubes so you can really get the liquid agitated in there. Shake that around for 30 to 45 seconds. You could do two minutes, as a lot of people recommend. You could do 12 minutes like the original recipe, but I don't think that's necessary. Uh, (laughs) You basically strain that into a glass, add your soda, or you can add your soda beforehand, and then you want to garnish it with some orange flower water. Two to three drops, three to four drops. You don't want to go overboard with the orange flower water. It'll... Tastes like a perfume shop. That's that's it, and it's like drinking a cloud. And if if you've ever had a good Ramos, it's unforgettable, and it'll it'll make a believer out of you in the Ramos to where you'll think, is this the greatest drink that was ever concocted? And they were using. We should make a note. They were probably using Old Tom Gin, which was really popular at the time. Lighter, sweeter. The Americans like their Old Tom Gin. Um, Jess, have you? Uh, in your in all your time bartending, have you done some cool Ramos uh, variations? I know you have a special uh, mead version that we're gonna get it to later. But any fun Ramos variations that you can recall through your bartending career? Yeah, I mean, I remember. I I mean, that was one of those kind of drinks, especially when we were at Husk Nashville, where if you knew you had a really cool guest and they would ask you for a Ramos, you were like, "Yeah, that's cool. I'll make that for you." But I think there was a period of time where we had like a cool, like a bourbon barrel aged vanilla sugar. And so we were making a vanilla syrup, which I thought was really, really neat. And then um, doing like a little kind of like a coffee bitter or a chocolate bitter. So just adding little tiny things, kind of like those egg cream variations where you put just like a hint of vanilla or cinnamon or, you know, something like that. I feel like and the coffee bitters that I think we would use would have a little of those kind of like ango, cinnamony, clovey hints to them. So you'd get some like nice, cool, sort of darker coffee, you know, chocolate sort of characteristic. And then maybe a little vanilla. And it actually goes really nice with the aromatics from the orange flower water, which is, I think, one of the things that sort of brightens up a Ramos and sort of takes it to the next level without adding too much flavor or texture to it. You know, it's all about the aromatics when you talk about 
the sort of nuances or the, the tiny things in cocktails that take it to the next level or make it really memorable. Totally. It's all about those little details. Um, I'm going to come up with one drink just on the spot right now that I just thought of that I think would be really cool since we were talking about the coffee cabinet, which was a popular egg cream variation with coffee syrup. It was popular in Rhode Island, apparently, a place called the Spatula in 1903. Uh, the recipe appeared in a pharmaceutical manual in 1919 during the last, the previous pandemic. Um, but you know what I think would be amazing is of like a espresso martini meets egg cream meets Ramos for like a brunch menu where I wasn't the one who had to make a million of them. <laughs> so like ha- an ounce and a half of vodka. Side of the bar. Yeah, the wish the wishful side. Um you could do vodka, you could do pisco. Pisco would be a fun one. Um and then um really just coffee syrup or cold brew, egg, cream, and some soda water and I think that would be incredible. That's I'm going to call it the brunch cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm not making. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, um, that's Monday, what I'm going to order. Monday uh, brunch cabinet. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to demand Kevin makes it when I come to the Delaney Oyster House. Perfect. Um, so, you've got a really cool drink. We've got this, con- you know, we've got a conversation with Drew Salzen from Honey Tree Meadery. He's talking all about his experience making a, a ton of egg cream drinks at the pharmacy. And he, of course, makes this beautiful mead now. You enjoy coming up with cocktails with his mead. And you've got a really cool Ramos variation from a drink we used to make. But let me just ask you this, Jess. Tell me about your process in terms of like coming up with drinks. Do you like keep a running list of notes? Do you usually... like? Are you thinking about one ingredient and... What what might go with that ingredient? Are you thinking like, do you get inspired by, you know, favorite drinks that you've had or like favorite classics that you've read about? Like, what's your process like for coming up with drinks? Yes. All of all of those things you just <laughs> said. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I have numerous tiny notebooks on little spindles of uh, recipes from all the places where we've worked, where I've worked and have written down the recipes just so that I could, you know, until I remember them. Uh, And then, you know, reading about new ingredients or tasting new things or recipes, you know, that you guys have uh, brought to me and tasting things and, and, you know, eating delicious food and and learning about the ingredients that goes into that. You know, it's, it's funny because when you were listening, when I was listening to your interview with Darcy, I was thinking how funny it is that, you know, we kind of cringe when people call us mixologists, but he Uh really is a mixologist because he's like a scientist who's putting that into beverages, you know, and I always think of us as basically like liquid cooks, you know, I always think of it like cooking. So for me, it's all about uh, balance and dynamic flavors and really figuring out how things go together. And so it's all, it's all association of, of food memories, basically. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, figuring out the flavors and the textures and the level of sweetness or acid in certain things and how you can complement or balance that with something else 
And, and it is things that you've tasted in the past or things that you know that you enjoy and, and how to enhance that um, yeah. without complicating it. So mm -hmm. really the drink that you're talking about that I have is, is based on a, a really one of, to me, one of the best cocktails I've ever had that you created with simple, delicious ingredients. You're talking about the Mayflower. The Mayflower. I mean, it was amazing. And that was one of the reasons is because Plymouth Gin is, is, has such an amazing texture and such a complex but subtle character to it that it's really versatile for cocktails. You know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you combine that with something like Koki Americano that we obviously love that is light and aromatic, but has bitterness as well to balance sweetness. And then beautiful, you know, orange blossom honey that you made into a syrup, which I think, you know, more than any place I've ever been, you guys, especially being around Drew and Ross and the the people who are keeping bees and making delicious honey in the area where you live and then turning that into something, you know, even more magical with the meat that they make. It's, it's, you're kind of in a beautiful spot for something like that with the aromatics and all of the stuff that grows around that area. So you do that sure. and add a little lemon juice, you know, and make it into kind of a, a beautiful gin sour. That was, that was a great cocktail. And I still, the inspiration for the drink that, you know, we're talking about today came because I made that drink for somebody. And that was, I mean, you made that like five years ago. And I still think about that drink yeah. all the time. That's amazing. Yeah, that was, I think the recipe, the old recipe on that one was like, it was lighter. Um, and we wanted to use Plymouth. And Plymouth is a little bit, it can be a little expensive for a cocktail gin. So I think we were doing ounce and a half Plymouth. Um, three quarter ounce of lemon juice, I think a half ounce of orange blossom honey. I could be wrong. Um, I'd have to go back and look. Maybe one dash of Regan's orange. Yeah, I and mean, I think was, that was oh, and, and then half the half. I'm sorry, it was half ounce of cokey. Yeah, so it was yeah, like half one ounce and of cokey americano, half cokey, three quarter lemon, half honey. Because the cokey yep. has, and that's one of those cool things where when you can find an ingredient that has some sweetness and some bitterness then it's great because you you get more than one element without having to add more than one ingredient. Yep, and that's why we love Punta Mess so much. It's so good. It's oh. got the sweetness and it's definitely got the bitterness. Oh. Yeah. My favorite cocktail of all time, pour Punta Mess over ice, put a little <laughs> orange peel in it, and enjoy. <laughs> Call it a day. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's old news. <laughs> so tell yeah. Tell us about your uh your Mayflower Honey honey Tree Ramos. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of nice because it's, it's you know, easier to make than a Ramos. But every now and then, especially if you're baking at home, you will have some egg whites uh, left over. And if you're not into using egg whites, you know, they have some cool substitutes out there. And then if you're in a pinch, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried using aguafaba, the liquid that comes off mm -hmm. of chickpeas. It's really mm -hmm. cool. It smells weird, but <laughs> yeah. it froths up. It smells weird but until I, say... I think it until you really like make a drink with it or you know, like it doesn't take much to like get rid of the smell of aquafaba. Right. Yeah. That's good. Which is I still, like I'm still gonna yeah. say go ahead and use an egg white for right now. <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> but um 
Yeah, so very similar. It's kind of like the best of both worlds of of doing the Ramos and the Mayflower, but um, it's it's slightly more boozy. But I say because the Cokie and because the Mead are in that teens, like the teens of the alcohol percentage, that it's still uh, not going to knock you on your butt. Um, but yeah, so do an egg white, or if you have a container full of egg whites, I like to push it like three quarter ounce to almost a full ounce of egg white, mm-hmm. um, just so you make sure you get that nice kind of frothiness, um, mm-hmm. built in there. Um, an ounce and a quarter to an ounce and a half of gin. Um, and then basically a quarter to a half ounce of coqui Americano. And then I like to go a full ounce of mead and I'm uh, using the basic batch from Honey Tree right now, which is kind of their flagship, um, which is great because you have beautiful aromatics. You have a really solid texture on the mead, but it's not sweet. It's not cloying. It's like a clean texture, but a really nice, it's going to take the place of having to use a syrup. Um, So you're going to get some of that honey essence, but it's definitely going to create a cocktail that's on the drier side. Um, Mm -hmm. So a three quarter ounce to like an ounce of uh, honey tree mead. And then, you know, after you've made this and you want to play around a little bit with some of their other flavors, you're going to get more sort of tropical aromas and things like that using some of their different stuff. Um, But then uh, half an ounce of lemon. And then you can throw a dash of orange bitters in there if you like. I just uh, got a little care package from one of my friends with some Colorado bitters is a, a little uh, mixer set called Cocktail Punk from Boulder. Mm-hmm. And their mm. orange bitters are really cool. They're like a little bit of a lighter, softer, like more aromatic um, mm. Regans. And so I put that that in there and it was great. And then That's basically, awesome. yeah, um, instead of doing a dry and wet, just starting with one to two like nice sized ice cubes and shaking for a good 30 to 45 seconds. And you'll hear doing the kind of like figure eight shake. So you're incorporating the air and not moving too fast on it. Just kind of like giving it a good sort of, you know, Goldilocks speed (laughs) and rhythm shake to the tin so that you're making it nice and cold. You're getting a lot of the air flowing through there to froth it up. And then you can kind of hear when the ice cubes have melted almost all the way. And then strain it into a chilled coop and throw a little uh, splash of soda water in there. And it'll give it that little bit of froth from the Ramos, but you still get a good lot of texture and it's not super airy um, like you would with the Mayflower, a a solid like coop gin sour. And then uh, maybe just express a little orange peel over the top of it. And then you can discard that and you just have a really clean, beautiful drink with honey character and little bit of citrus, a little bit of gin. Sounds incredible. And I have to note that um, I was over at Honey Tree recently picking up um, a special honey from this guy who, who makes gorgeous honey and raises all these different bees down in the Natchez Trace area. He had dropped it off for me there. So when I was there, I picked up some of their little batch, which is like the really light sparkling one that I love. And then um, I got a version with some cider. And have to say that their mead is the perfect pairing. And I think mead in general, just in case you don't live in Nashville or you can't get the honey tree stuff, it's such a great pairing for hot, for not just hot chicken, but fried chicken. Yes. Um, so good. The sweetness just, you know, it's like that honey drizzle on your chicken. And it's, it's so, so good. So good with fried chicken. 
Heck yeah. Um, well, uh, that's all I got today. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> we'll be catching up with you uh, next time around when we talk chocolate and pairing delicious beverages with chocolate. And Jess and I happen to know the perfect drink to pair with chocolate. It's the only thing you'll ever want to drink with chocolate. And I'm going to leave it hanging out there. You're going to have to listen to figure out what it is. Some old school radio. All right. With all this talk about honey and mead, we need to bring in a guy who knows a lot about mead. He's a he's one of the founders of Honey Tree Meadery here in East Nashville over there on Woodland Street. They make incredible, delicious beverages, as I talked to Jess about. But let's get Drew in here because he knows a lot about egg creams and made so many amazing egg creams over at the pharmacy. So we're going to get him in to talk about what's going on with Honey Tree and the egg cream. All right, on the line, we have a very special guest. He is director of everything, except for the yeast, at Honey Tree Meadery here in East Nashville, Tennessee. Drew Suzanne is on the line. Drew, how are you? I am doing great. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well, man. It's great to have you on. Have you back on the show? You were, you know, one of the focal points of one of our just most popular episodes ever, the famous Mead episode. Ross Welbin, Drew Susan, February. Yeah, pre-everything. Pre-everything. It was just like, just not a care in the world. Four guys are just going to sit around talking about bees, Vikings, and Mead for two hours. Yeah. In the same room. Just relaxing. Yeah, it was nice. We- we were relaxed. We really were. Oh, those were the days. We're good at we're good at relaxing. It's good that we have uh, recorded, you know, have a good recorded documentation of actually relaxing. Definitely. So you have been through a lot this last year. The neighborhood that Honey Tree's in, Honey Tree was luckily mostly unscathed from the tornado, but you had just lots of upheaval going on in that neighborhood and businesses destroyed then the pandemic and just so much going on. But you guys are open now. You're making all your beautiful meads, selling your meads. And um, tell me about your hours and what you guys have going on right now. So while unfortunately our COVID numbers in Nashville have been looking so weird because it's just Ross and I, We've had the tasting room open only on the weekends. So Friday and Saturday from 12 to 10 and Sunday from 11 to 6. Nice. So, you know, it was one of those things for us where we want to be open all the time. We're so excited to be back open again. But it was one of those things where we're trying to limit exposure, keep the facility safe because it's a small little spot. And with us being such a small operation if we were to have something happen to ross and i you know it'd be a thing yeah so it's like i'll do the bartending you make the mead let's keep it a little separated right now and keep it you know limited until we can at least get some form of better numbers and then we'll be back to five or six days a week awesome and you have that really cool patio out there. So if it's a nice day, it's always a good time to be coming by and drinking some of that little batch, basic batch, and all the other stuff you got going on. And it's only going to get better. We've got nothing but plans and nothing but ideas. We've already got the lumber for another little stage area back there, some more roofing so that, you know, 
essentially we're trying to make it as comfortable as possible out there with whatever the element is going to be. And we've been doing all kinds of stuff where trying to bring in the community however we can. So while the farmer's market was down from East Nashville farmer's market right down the street, we've had hidden holler farms coming out and setting up every other Tuesday and still selling their eggs and chickens and stuff like that outside. So anything we can use because that's where people want to be you know people want to do business outside right now so yep trying to make it work that's a good opportunity to get some good local stuff too oh yeah check honey tree out at honey tree meadery on all the socials honeytreemeadery.com so drew i know you've got a little bit of cool news to share you guys are going to be uh increasing your distribution you're going to be available all over the place tell me a little bit about that so We shopped around for a hot second trying to decide on what we were going to do for distribution. Because for us, originally, when we first opened, the tasting room was doing so well that we didn't really need to focus on grocery stores and liquor stores. We're such a a small setup. And our goal was to sell out of the tasting room and sell to bars and restaurants. But with the world now, everybody wanting to drink at home, we got to get into those grocery stores and liquor stores. We so thankful we have signed up with Bounty Bev and Kurt is a fan, fantastic friend and is going to do nothing but help Honey Tree. I mean, it's, it's been amazing. Every single time I have a conversation with him, <laughs> I feel better and better about life. They're, um, they're definitely going to help us out. We're going to take it to the top with Bounty Bev. Awesome. Well, congrats. It's been a long time coming for sure. Because the original business model, of course, was to open up and immediately go distribution. But when the tasting room was doing so well, we were like, oh, well, I mean, this is perfect. So we kind of got flipped upside down. Everybody now is going to the liquor store, or grabbing stuff from the grocery store, and then headed home. We essentially just dusted off the original business plan. We're like, okay, we absolutely have the plans to do this. So here we go. Oh, that's great, man. Now, we know you're a mead master. Ross is the uh, mead man, brewmaster behind Honey Tree. But you happen to be a master of the egg cream. So we had to get you in on this episode. You've made a lot of egg creams in your day and you you know a lot about kind of the order of the way things go the new york style egg cream so tell me a little bit about your experience with the the famous egg cream so i had plenty of new yorkers watching me being very very strict on how i was making their egg creams so if anything is going to teach me, it's the daggers that they were throwing at me while they were watching me make these egg creams. Yeah, that's and a lot of pressure. Oh my gosh, yes, 100%. Yeah. Um, like, you know, if it's wrong, they'll call you out. They don't mind at all whatsoever. They're like, nope, this is this and this and this is how you did it wrong. And this and this and this is what you're going to do the next time you make one. And I'm going to stand here and watch you. It's like, oh, shit. Okay, I got this. Yeah. But, I mean, we even used to do little, like, competitions to see who could make the best one. And, you know, everybody, five or six or seven guys all you know, competing to like who can make the best egg cream with the best head retention and the head be wider than the others and all this silly stuff. Oh, that's great. And, uh, I like that. Yeah. 
So it was trial by fire for sure. Yeah. So pharmacy being a kind of revival of, uh, or for the beverage program anyway, you had the beer garden, but also a revival of soda shop uh, culture and drinking culture and the egg cream, obviously a huge part of that. And it's one of the last drinks to really carry over now into society. And as the New Yorkers would tell you, I'm sure they can still get them at a lot of places in New York, but not that many places all over the country are still making them. So we've got them here in Nashville. So tell me about your, the, the detail of like how the ingredients go and tell me like a little recipe that you've got. The most important thing is to not use Hershey's chocolate syrup. Mm. It's, Fox's You Bet chocolate flavor syrup. Mm -hmm. That's the trick. That's one of the first things about it. There's something different about the sweetness and the texture of this Fox's You Bet that whips together and slowly falls to the bottom of the drink um, more so than Hershey's does. Because, you know, think about it. When you make chocolate milk, when you mix up Hershey's real well, you know, it's immediately dissolved in the milk. It's not a situation where you're going to have this little puddle at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, but with foxes, that's actually one of the things that are a part of it is to see those little bits of chocolate like fall down the side of the glass as you're drinking it. Interesting. So, foxes, you bet. <laughs> Either whole milk or even sometimes a little bit of half and half as well. Mm-hmm. And... You know, you want, ideally, if you're making it where you have the option, you have your hard stream of soda water and then your pour of soda water. Mm -hmm. So another trick is the acid phosphate. And, you know, you guys talked about all that. Yep. And that is important, too. Two little dashes of acid phosphate and then your foxes, you bet, at the bottom. Is this an empty glass or is this over ice? Empty glass. Empty glass. Gotcha. No ice. Yep. No ice. So your boxes you bet and your two dashes Mm -hmm. of acid phosphate into the bottom of the glass. And then you pour in, you know, I would say you're going to maybe half of the glass with milk or this half and half. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you do a hard stream of your soda water real quick, just real fast, one little dash. And you're slowly pouring your soda water while you're whipping really, 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 really hard. Like, so the hard, yeah. So the hard stream kind of just loosens all the ingredients real quick. Is that the idea? Yes. So it kind of loosens everything. Then you're whipping with a spoon, a long spoon. Okay. Long spoon. Yep. Mm. Yep. For us, we were just using our swizzle stick. You know, it absolutely is. <laughs> you're just beating up this glass for a second as best you can, because what you want to do, if you do this process right, you'll make a big, white, foamy head and a nice, dark chocolate mixture at the bottom. And they're completely separated. Like you can see go from white big foamy head to dark dark you know chocolate milk drink essentially and one of the tricks about it that i learned was that the goal if a soda jerk made a legit egg cream 
when you take the first drink, there has to be cream, you know, or this leftover on your nose. <laughs> that was like one of the way that these soda jerks, you know, would be called out if the egg cream didn't have a big enough head was you had to like have this little, you know, whipped cream or whatever on the, on the end of your nose. That's funny. Definitely pre-mask days. <laughs> but I wonder because like a lot of these guys would have been doing this in the early 1900s and then they had their own pandemic. So I wonder right. how that, I wonder how that affected. Uh, yeah. So well, that's two hundred year periods of uh, people making egg creams with masks on. Like maybe that's actually helping them drink it. You know, it's so foamy that it just like seeps through the mask. <laughs> But oh, now, man. what you were saying earlier was a good point where you, you were talking about how their soda water was so much more carbonated than it is today. Yeah, so the, that was one of the things that just totally blew my mind with the talk from the talk with Darcy was he was saying, you know, Bud Light, Tecate, some of these lighter beers, they're going to be 28 to 30 PSI. A lot of the drinks right. that people were obsessed with and the, the this intensely flavored uh, soda drinks, 120 PSI, making people's eyes water. That makes me wonder how much better of a head you could get on an egg cream and what the head retention would be like if you were using 120 PSI soda water. It had to be insane. They had to look it, like little little clouds of just like these molecular masterpieces. It had to look know, way different. Yeah, what I had to do, like whip the hell out of these egg creams, it was probably super easy for those jerks because the, the soda water was insane. Yeah. So that's a good point. We, I, we're we going to have to make ourselves some 120 soda water. Good stuff, my man. Um, really appreciate you talking to us about the egg cream and your your expertise. Um, we'll, uh, we'll have some links about that Fox's You Bet. And maybe, you know what I need to do is do a little research and see if anyone has done a true like copycat recipe of it. Maybe, maybe there's something to, um, the texture element of it, some hydrocolloid or something. I wouldn't doubt it because you could tell plain as day in the taste, in the color, everything, you know, it, it just wasn't the same. So I wonder Let's talk about priorities here. We're prioritizing our lives. I like where your head's at. Yeah, that's right. All right, we'll check Drew and Ross and all the crew out at Honey Tree Meadery. Look for them hitting the stores here soon and all their seasonal spring stuff coming up. So uh, thanks for everything, Drew. Of course, brother. Good talking to you. They are open. Let's get, will you give us your hours one more time? Friday and Saturday, 12 to 10. And Sunday... 11 to 6 and as soon you know the instagram and facebook and twitter and all that kind of stuff is where we'll talk about when we relaunch essentially when we do the spring turnover with all the spring stuff and the distribution launch we'll go back to five or six days a week so keep an eye on the instagram especially that's the easiest one for me and i'll keep you guys all up to date for sure thanks a bunch drew Of course. All right. We'll talk to you soon. We're going to be throwing this right over to our our talk about egg creams with none other than Darcy O'Neill. And I know, Drew, you're a big fan. You've read his book. You were uh, steeped in all that when you were over there at the pharmacy. Um, why Why don't you introduce him for us and you can throw a shout out. 
Coming up next is Darcy O'Neill. He is a wealth of information. Check this guy out. I've looked up to him for a long time, looking to his books. I present to you Darcy O'Neill. Well, let's let's talk about the egg cream a little bit because that's that's such a a fascinating drink and one that has really um, lasted through time, stood the test of time. Something that's still being made in New York City now at, at some places, but it's this big. It's like a misunderstood drink because as it was made, as it's been made now for decades, it doesn't really have egg or cream. But can you give some insight into that? It's basically a chocolate soda, but what's so special about the egg cream, and why do you think it's lived on? The original egg cream is actually had egg and cream in it, and soda water, mm-hmm. and a flavoring syrup. And so that's the bones of it. Now, as history goes forward, things always get more expensive, you know, inflation. So pharmacists realized that they could sub- take out the cream and substitute milk. And still get that frothy consistency. And then they, you know, again, during Prohibition or actually even um, the Great Depression, you know, you'd pull out ingredients and just uh, to save money. And there's always this barrier of cost. And it was, you know, for soda, just straight soda like Coca-Cola, it was a nickel. And nobody ever wanted to go be the first one to go above that five cent mark because that changed the whole pricing scheme for every pharmacy. So Coca-Cola spent a lot of money keeping their uh, their soda at five cents a glass. and But the egg cream couldn't do that because eggs were expensive and cream was expensive. So it eventually just ended up being milk syrup and soda water. Mm. And uh, the popularity of it, it's basically a chocolate soda. Mm-hmm. Like a chocolate cream soda or milk soda. Because um, some places just put chocolate syrup and soda together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and it, but there is it, it has a long history of egg of eggs and cream. But uh, there's some revisionist history in there, and you you find that in a lot of things where certain groups will claim ownership of making that. And the most common one is Italian sodas, like the Torani family who makes Torani syrups mm-hmm. claims that they invented the soda fountain in you know 1910. There's a long history of soda way well before that, but it's been great marketing for them. For sure. There's a couple articles about, um, you know, certain families in New York that invented it. There's a couple competing family histories that said they invented the egg cream, and but neither of them can ever answer why it's called an egg cream. <laughs> yeah. So the argument falls apart, but it basically was just, you know, keeping the cost low by removing the expensive ingredients. How do you think they were making those early versions with the egg and the cream? Were they? Do you think they were using shaker tins and kind of shaking yeah. those two ingredients together? And then was it always chocolate no, and soda? You can put any syrup in it. But one of the cool things, you know, the Ramus Gin Fizz. Of course, of course. And yeah. The that came from the soda fountain. That is almost like an egg cream. Mm-hmm. If you think about it. Yeah, uh, sure. It's like drinking that. a cloud. Yeah, and so. That is what the old egg creams used to be like, that, that really light frothiness. Now, if you go into DeForest Sachs's book, just look up DeForest Sachs. Uh, I forget the name of this thing. He'll come to me in a second. Mm-hmm. It's written in 1892, and it's his soda manual. But he has actually plates in there, um, uh, drawings of how to shake a soda or a, a milkshake or an egg cream. Oh, cool. And in 
the modern thing, and Chris McMillan and I were talking about this one time, and Chris has switched how he makes his uh, Ramus Gin Fizz to this method in this book. And instead of using a whole bunch of ice cubes, you use two, you know, small egg-sized cubes of ice. So yeah. Your standard freezer cubes, mm-hmm. uh, your home freezer cubes. You take two of those and you put them in the shaker. And you shake that until there's no more rattling. And then, so once the, the ice is completely melted, then the drink is ready. And when you do that with a Ramus Gin Fizz, it comes out excellent because it's not saturated with water. So you still get the uh, the fat and the egg protein working together, and you get this frothy, you know, meringue type drink. So that's the way they used to do it was just two ice cubes, and that's the secret. And I feel like that's become the accepted way to do the Ramos. Riley uh, Riley Perinellis, who works out here at the uh, at Attaboy, um, and worked with us at Husk for a while, she's got a great version where she does fernet and Coke. Ramos, so oh, it's like yeah. a Fernet Coke egg cream kind of thing. This is a perfect example of how the soda fountain influenced the bar. For sure. Are they are they making egg creams or anything like that up in uh, in Toronto or in Canada anywhere? Yeah, I actually had one on a menu at a bar I worked in like 2007. Oh, cool. I think it was overly ambitious of me. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. I was only bartender, and it, uh, and people liked them, so I realized they really take a lot of time. But, uh, yeah, I see them on the menu every once in a while, but they don't last long on the menu. Either people like them or they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I think people, like, I find them delicious. I love them. They're so good. Um, but are they, worth the, are they worth the effort when you're behind the bar? <laughs> to, you know, that's a little different story. Sometimes the manager's looking at you while you're shaking for two minutes. And he's like, get stuff done. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, I've, I worked somewhere where we had Ramos, uh, Ramos on the brunch menu. With one bartender, and I was that bartender a lot of times, and so I basically had to just walk around shaking a drink and do everything else with my left hand. I was like putting orders in, yeah, serving guests with my left hand, pulling plates with my left hand, just so I could see that's it's a bit of a jam up. I found a fun way to do it when I was at the bar is that if, especially if girls order it, I would hand them the shaker and say, just keep shaking, I got some stuff to do. (laughs) <laughs> and they would <laughs> that's great alright at this time we're going to check in with Kenneth Dedman all about the end of Tab Soda and he's also got an update on Elliston Place Soda Shop probably the most famous soda shop here in Nashville that is set to reopen under new ownership so let's get Kenneth in here thanks Mike now I have so many things to say and not a lot of time to say it, but it's all primarily about the Coca-Cola company and the discontinuing of their brand, Tab Cola. The original um, Diet Cola, ending something like 57 years of people being weird. Now, Tab was originally developed as a diet soda to compete with the diabetic market. No joke. Uh, there were there were sodas like uh, Royal Crown's Diet Right and NoCal uh, uh, Ginger Ale, which were sold in pharmacy sections of your local stores. And Coca-Cola wanted a piece of that market. In using a familiar formula, they developed Tab 
and marketed it towards women and made them all feel fat if they didn't drink it. And I remember drinking this shit because I had it once when we were on a family vacation and we never really took family vacations. Our family vacations were more like um, house sitting for someone that was going on vacation. And this one occasion, uh, there was a swimming pool and my mom offered me a tab and uh, I, I, I wanted grape soda, but it was just a soda. So I opened it and I took a sip and it reminded me of like, the pain of throwing up when there's stomach bile coming up, but like also like if I was throwing up nine volt batteries. Now, not to detract from the fact that this was a dastardly, dastardly misogynist beverage company. Uh, one, there's one ad campaign that comes to mind that sums up everything that was wrong with tab basically from the onset now in 1969 uh tab developed this uh, ad campaign called the mind sticker um the idea was for women to drink tab and have beautiful bodies that their man will remember whenever confronted with uh, a possible situation so not only was this a beverage that you would pay for, but it would also reward you. I guess you can like look at the time, like it was a long time ago and think like the context of it. And it seems oddly similar to what we go through now or, or what we've been dealing with in the, in the, in our, in our recent history, we were in, in we were in an unjust, an unjust war at the time, racial tensions were high. Sure, like uh, Jimi Hendrix, he headlined Woodstock that year, but it wasn't just like a few months later when Mark Clark and Fred Hampton were gunned down. Members of the Black Panther Party were gunned down by uh, Chicago police. It's uh, Black History Month here at Liquid Gold. Now, I'm not one to speak for any race or anything like that, but black people don't drink tab. And I still think the Coca-Cola company needs to apologize to all people of all races and creeds for canning and bottling this stomach turning and gurgling liquid bubbly mess of a beverage. Rest in peace. On a more positive note, the Elliston Place Soda Shop, a Nashville institution, set to reopen in its new location right next door at 2105 Elliston Place, set to be serving burgers, fries, and sundaes, and milkshakes, and sodas, just like they did when they started back in 1939 when Lynn Chandler, a pharmacy student in Memphis, absconded from his studies and left Memphis with uh, an automobile, $200 and a dream to own a diner for the rest of his life. Lynn Chandler is a 
self-proclaimed inventor of the meat and three, claiming that all other restaurants were meat and twos before he before he took over the keys to Ellison Place uh, soda shop. He is known for his quotes. Uh, in, in, in fact, the the company motto is that you have to make a friend before you make a customer. That's kind of how old school business guys talk, especially especially when they're when they're successful. They're always happy to offer like those weird words of wisdom when they're successful. But when they're hobos on on the railroad tracks, they sing a different tune. I tell you what. Now, the struggling business that was Elliston Place uh, Soda Shop was purchased by Tony and Lisa Jaratana in 2019. Now, the the couple had hoped to move the business into a new building, which they absolutely have done but a pandemic hit and they have never really been able to fully open reopen uh elston place soda shop like like everyone else in in the restaurant industry right now they they really got screwed but that doesn't mean that there's not hope in every breath and every sunrise that we have like uh you can very soon uh, pick up a burger or a hot dog or a um, a milkshake from there. Get it, get it to go. Help them out. Keep them afloat, per se, while we all continue to struggle and persevere through these times. Thanks, y'all. Love you. Love you, Mike. All right. Love you too, Kenneth. Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening. You can email us liquidgoldpod at gmail.com find us on instagram at liquidgold underscore pod that's at liquidgold underscore pod thanks so much to darcy o'neill for joining us here these last few episodes just an incredible guy check out all of his uh writings and the products that he sells acid phosphate and lactart incredible ingredients to recreate lost classics of the soda era and also make just uh better cocktails so check him out at artofdrink.com. Thanks so much to Drew at Honey Tree Meadery and our cocktail correspondent, as always, Miss Jessica Backus. My name's Mike Wolf, and we'll see you next time. We're going to be talking chocolate, getting you ready for Valentine's Day, and we have the just perfect pairing for chocolate. You're going to need to listen to find out what it is, but you're never going to want anything else with chocolate. Okay, before we go, these guys that are still doing this in Brooklyn, making this incredible soda water that gets filtered three times. Then they add uh, liquid carbon dioxide. They deliver this around Brooklyn and New York to different businesses in these wooden crates with these huge glass bottles that have the soda siphon on top. And they refurbish these parts. They maintain these parts. And this is Brooklyn Seltzer Boys, the brooklynseltzerboys.com. This is one of the last businesses left that still does this. And as they say on their website, their soda water is highly carbonated, similar to the old style soda water. And they say good soda should hurt. It should give you that tingle in your throat. Probably could loosen some, some things in your throat as well. But um, they offer egg cream packages. So I think I think it costs about 100 bucks, but you could get an egg cream, authentic egg cream package along with a bottle of soda in like a little I think it's a plastic encased siphon. 
soda siphon. It's not like the glass ones that they deliver around the city, but you can check that out. Brooklyn Seltzer Boys. Whenever I make it back up to uh, New York and Brooklyn, I will be checking these guys out. Darcy made the point last week in the interview. Why do we ship water across water? Why, why do we send water from Paris and, and France and, and Italy? And, the, you know, they have beautiful waters, sparkling waters, but we send them all the way across the ocean. One of the one of the soda waters that we love, Topo Chico, that's real popular. And we love it. But uh, Darcy makes a good point. Probably the best source here in the south for really good sparkling water, Mountain Valley. We love them as well. But I think this is something that we're going to be diving into all year and seeing what are the options. Um, I've already talked to a few uh, labs here in town about making really nice, tasty, highly carbonated water. So this is going to be a fun project. I'll keep you updated on that. Another project I have been working on, making this vermouth along with Nashville Urban Winery. It is almost done. It is so close. It's been such a journey. I grew all these different herbs. I dried them. I uh, pulled in some some amazing spices from around the world and as well as some bitter herbs and bitter roots. And uh, we used a rosé. It was uh, Grenache from Nashville Urban Winery. And we've got some incredible local honey that we'll be adding to it to sweeten it up just a little bit. It'll still be pretty dry with a good bit of acid to it, but um, I'm excited for everyone here in Nashville to try that. Lippman will be distributing it as far as I know. It'll be out soon, so I'll keep you updated on that. I think you'll really enjoy it. I absolutely love vermouth, and it's been a dream of mine to make it someday. So, and we've got some plans to do some other stuff as well, so I'll be updating you on that. And we'll see you next week when we're gonna talk chocolate right here with uh, Scott Witherow from Olive and Sinclair and we'll get you all ready for Valentine's Day. Thanks y'all for listening. You can subscribe, give us a rating, email us, mess with us on Instagram, all you want. And thanks so much to our producer, Michael Eads over at We Own This Town, just matching for the logo and upright T-Rex music for the tunes. We'll see you next time on Liquid Gold.